1 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy uh, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you. We're mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Great passage of scripture, uh, and I love it. Uh, whenever we come to think of what we might describe generally as organic life, then uh, our normal expectation is that we shall see growth. It will be characterised by growth. It's a living organism. It's a growing organism. And if we don't see growth in organic life, we begin to wonder why. And uh, we sense that perhaps something could be wrong. When a baby is born, is weighed, and it's measured at uh, various intervals, and from that its growth is assessed. If it's not growing, then of course the medics start to get concerned. It's our expectation when children are born. Of course, for a few of us in the church, when you get on in life a little bit, um, when you go to see the medics, they, they, they want it the other way around. You get on the scales and they want to see it coming off a, a bit. But, but not when you're young and you're expecting uh, a child to grow. Gardeners look for growth in their plants. Anne was given an amaryllis bulb for Christmas. And the thing is started to sprout in the window. And it's moving at a phenomenal rate of knots to the extent that Anne's routine every morning, almost first thing, is to get a, 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 a tape measure and measure it. And it's moving on at the rate of about an inch, two and a half centimetres a day. Sometimes she will even measure it before she goes to bed at night to see how much it's grown in the day. And, and having been given this thing for Christmas, of course, and knowing how they're supposed to behave... Um, that is the expectation that something will start to happen. And indeed, it's happening. It's about like that already. Farmers look for growth with their crops and with their livestock. 
uh, I remember my boss talking to me one day um, uh, about, um, you know, improved performance in, in, in the company and uh, how, you know, we needed to see a significant growth in the volume of business that we're doing and uh, just wondering how to communicate this sort of message to uh, inspire and motivate uh, all the staff. And he just threw in this little anecdote. He said it's a bit like the poultry farmer that was rather concerned uh, uh, with the way that um, his, his chickens were laying. That they, that the sort of production just wasn't there. Their performance was very, very poor. And he was wondering what it was that he could do to go down and sort of have an impact with them that they might respond to. And he had a bright idea one day. And he got, managed to get hold of an ostrich egg. And he, he went down. He went down to the field where all his chickens were. And he simply walked amongst his flock of chickens who laid these eggs for him with this ostrich egg under his arm. And you've got the chickens, their eyes came out of their heads. They'd never seen anything like this in, in their lives, you know. And uh, they started to panic like crazy, whatever's going to be happening and so on. And the farmer looked around and said to them and said, I'm saying nothing. I'm just showing you what's possible. And uh, when we become a Christian, in the same way as we look for growth, humanly speaking, in children, gardeners with plants, farmers with crops and livestock, in that whole area of organic growth, when we become a Christian, God looks for us to grow and to develop. There is that old cliche uh, from uh, down through the ages that to stand still is to go backwards. To stand still is to go backwards. And in the reading of our Bibles, for example, God expects us to progress, and this is biblical, from milk to meat to maturity. God expects to see us growing in different areas of our Christian life. And the story of the church at Thessalonica, I think, is a great one. And uh, I think it's one that should inspire and enthuse us uh, here uh, at Abbey. It demonstrates to us that God is able to do immeasurably, and here's that verse again from our uh, Ephesians vision passage, our God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It's all about becoming Christians, having their lives transformed by the gospel, and progressing in their new faith. And it's all summed up for us at the end of chapter 1. You turned, we re, uh, where are we? You turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's in Bible study this week where somebody says, you know, sometimes with Paul you've got to go to the end of the chapter and if you work backwards through the chapter it sometimes makes more sense with Paul than if you follow it through from the beginning. Um, And so we've gone straight to the end because that was the impact. That in a nutshell is the story of of what happened when the gospel came to Thessalonica brought there by Paul, Silas and Timothy. So then, what sort of people did they become? 
what uh, were their lives now looking like as Paul writes this first letter. Verse 3. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. And uh, you can sit, verse 3, alongside that previous verse, verses 9 and 10, and they marry up, turning to God from idols, serving the living and true God, waiting for his Son from heaven. They have become men and women of faith. And so I've highlighted faith. Their lives show forth and demonstrate the love of God. And their lives are characterised and inspired by hope. That's the outcome of the transformation. That's how they are now progressing in their Christian faith. As Christians, many women of faith, lives showing out the love of God, lives inspired by the Holy Spirit. On that verse 3, I was a little bit um, mystified when I was preparing, uh, when it seemed to repeat itself. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love. And uh, I, I started to go down a bit of an avenue when I was saying, what's the difference between work that is produced by faith and labour prompted by love? And uh, my investigations led me to a very reliable source, um, a book by W.E. Vine of New Testament words. And uh, I understand from W.E. Vine that the work produced by faith in verse 3 refers to that initial response that they showed in that act of faith when they heard the gospel and became a Christian. That initial act. So when in the end of the chapter it says they turned from idols, this is linking up with that work of faith, that work that God did in their hearts initially for them to become Christians. But of course, that's a one-off experience. That's when we were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. That transformation. But faith needs to grow and develop our key verse. In the second letter, he says, your faith is growing. Your faith is growing. And uh, uh, it was characterized in their lives. But then we come to 2 Thessalonians 1 where we read, and Paul refers to, every work of faith that they were involved with. Now, this is Second Thessalonians going on in chapter 1. He refers to every work of faith. Uh, and this refers to every activity that we undertake for Christ when we serve him. May he, God, give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honoured because of the way you lived. So they turned from idols to serve, to serve the living and the true God. And in that serving of the living and the true God, 
Everything they did was an act of faith. Every work of faith which they did. Uh, And faith needs to underpin and undergird whatever it is God calls us to do with our gifts and abilities. Not that we become engaged in a rota and in a routine in church life so that something happens every week in terms of church programme. But for us to have the belief that whatever it is that we do, God will work in us and through us for it to be a blessing to others, bring glory to his name, and and further uh, the kingdom of God, be a very demonstration uh, of of his love. (coughs) But to be able to grow in faith, we also need to be able to grow in the faith. And when you read through the New Testament, there is a distinction between faith, that which we personally have in our relationship with God, so that we live by faith, we should. Um, But there is also the faith, what it is that we believe as Christians. The body of belief and doctrine that we lift from our word of God, that become the main tenets of our faith that we hold dear and we believe in, and uh, so that we can build on, on that faith progressively so that we become strong, so that we become secure, so that we become committed, because we are growing. And this comes, uh, of course, from having an appetite for God's word. Uh, case uh, any of you don't know, Uh, For us at Abbey Church, the main tenets of our belief, what we believe here as a church, are summarised in in a basis of faith document uh, that we have. And uh, uh, as a church, we adopt the one uh, produced by the Evangelical Alliance. And uh, uh, perhaps it might not be a bad idea uh, from time to time for folks just to go online to the Evangelical Alliance and look up their basis of faith, and you get a list there of about 12 or 13 key tenets of belief that at least give you the basic framework of what it is that you believe, and you can hold that in your head, so that when you're out there in that situation, when somebody asks you, you can give the reason (laughs) of what it is that you believe uh, and, and why. So, We need to be men and women of faith, beyond initial faith for salvation, to be a growing faith uh, every day uh, of our lives. And then their lives showed out uh, the love of God. And you do find that in the uh, original group, Greek, it is the agape word that is used. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. The love of God in them motivated them, their service. Their service was not, now that I'm a Christian, I suppose I've got to start doing this. And I suppose this is expected of me as a Christian. Our heart's desire should be that in response to all that Christ has done for us, that we will want to serve him. We will want to serve him. And further, uh, his kingdom. James tells us in his letter, of course, that faith without works is dead. <laughs> if we proclaim to be Christians and, and, and our lives just don't demonstrate it and show it in any way, then we are hypocrites. 
we are hypocrites. Faith without works is no faith at all. It is dead. And, uh, but not so the case here in Thessalonica. Their faith was a sincere and genuine faith uh, because God's love had been poured into their hearts. And we find Paul talking about that elsewhere into the New Testament. What God does by his spirit when we come to faith, he pours his love into our hearts. <laughs> and it's not designed to stay there. <laughs> it's meant to show itself in a desire for us uh, to serve him. God's love, of course, has been shown for us in the giving of his son uh, to be our saviour. That's how God showed his love for us. Love must show itself in action and demonstrate itself in some way or another. Uh, and God's love is shown here in this Thessalonian church in their desire to serve the living and the true God. And my, how they serve God. Whilst I had W.E. Vine open, and whilst I had Scripture for All website, uh, which gives you the translation in the original Greek with your English running alongside that Paul Drinkwater told me about, I thought, well, with these open, let me just have a look and see it, what the word is uh, for, for, for labour. And uh, it really does mean that when we... Think in the past of people, you know, being assigned to hard, hard labour. <laughs> then that was what they voluntarily and spontaneously engaged in, in serving the living and the true God. The word is kopos, if that's how you pronounce it, which means toil that results in weariness. In short, they worked hard for God. Yeah, wasn't the minimum that you could get away with. Uh, if I just do this, I suppose this might keep the elders happy, you know. This might keep a few people in this department, in that department of the church, off my back. I'm showing I'm willing, doing my little bit. No, it's a heart, it's a heart that God looks for, <clears throat> that desires uh, to serve him. And then, many women of faith, lives showing out the love of God, and lives inspired by hope you turn to god from idols you serve the living in the true god and you wait for his son from heaven how are they doing that it's with endurance inspired by hope in our lord jesus christ and again it's not that drudging endurance how much longer is am i gonna have to do this it is the meaning of the word. Again, I had all these resources open, so I was using them. The, the, the idea is that you're waiting patiently in the eager expectation that Christ is going to come. And it's not a wishful hope, but it's a confident expectation. A confident expectation. So we wait patiently. And because it goes on and it goes on, we don't give up on our hope we're not going to say uh, will he ever come and doubts start to come in our minds there is that confident expectation that he who said he is going to come will come and in the words of the bible he is not tarrying from his perspective there is that time which is appointed and it was the coming of christ that inspired these people in their service 
for God. It was not easy for them. Uh, all around them, they had idolatry. This is Greece. Um, Thessalonica was in the, the north. Um, we know that when Paul went to Athens, he went to that place at Mars Hill. And everywhere there was a shrine um, for every conceivable idol you could imagine. I was reading background preparation, and you couldn't go through a day without moving from one task in your day to another task in your day. And at every turn, there was a stop that you needed to make to, to, to sort of almost get the permission of the idol to let you do that next thing that you're going to do. But to go to work today, better go to the idol for work, you know. I'm on holiday today, better go to the idol uh, for holidays. I'm being a bit facetious, but, you know, through your day, you just had to keep stopping. I mean, Muslims pray five a days, but five times a day, but, you know, you would need at every turn to be paying some sort of homage to some sort of idol of sorts. So that was the culture, that was the climate. So this was revolutionary for these people to respond to the gospel in which there was one true and living God. And these idols were not apart. God had delivered them from all of that. And there was that confident hope and expectation that he would come. But there was persecution. There was opposition and their service for God. And all that they became was not easy for them. It was the hope in their hearts that inspired endurance through uh, hard times. Well then, how did the gospel come to Thessalonica? We've gone to the two ends of the chapter, the two extremes, verse 3 and then 9 and 10, like two bits of the sandwich, the two pieces of bread. Now let's just uh, uh, conclude by thinking briefly uh, of, the, of the filling. How did the gospel come to Thessalonica? And in verse 5, we see that it was Paul, it was Silas, it was Timothy who came uh, with the gospel. We can read about how that came about in Acts 17. And he gave to them <laughs> a masterclass, I want to call it, in making Jesus known. This, you, you, you know, we want to be about making Jesus known as a church. And, you know, here it is. If we want a masterclass of, of how you go about it, um, then here it is. They communicated it verbally. Let's just go over it again. Uh, where are we? Verse 5. Um, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And so they communicated the gospel verbally. It came in word. There was a verbal communication. But they also believed in the in inherent power of the gospel. It didn't come just with words. It came also with power. And that was power as distinct from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think here Paul is referring to that inherent power that he believed that there was in the gospel because the gospel came uh, from God. In Romans, for example, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone uh, that believes. 
And then as well as that inherent power that there was in the gospel, in the message that they brought, they themselves were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they preached it with conviction in their hearts. If we have no conviction about the gospel, we will never able to be able to persuade anybody else. If we lack persuasion and conviction, we will never be able to persuade anyone else. When you go through the different places that Paul went to on his missionary journeys, and he would go into the Jewish synagogues if they were there, uh, in those places there he went, he would sit down and he would seek to persuade. He said, I seek to persuade men. And we will never persuade anyone if we lack conviction in our hearts. And then it was backed up by their lifestyle. It just wasn't all talk. You know, he says, how we lived among you. And so the Thessalonians were able to both hear the gospel and see the gospel. And see the gospel as demonstrated in the lives of Paul, uh, Silas uh, and Timothy. Well, how did they respond? Verse 6, you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You welcome the message. Verse 9, where we've been thinking, you turn to God from idols by faith to serve the living in true God in love, as we've been considering, and to wait for his son from heaven with endurance and with patience and with eager expectation. And then in verses 6 to 8, we get... (laughs) Well, I've called God's big picture of growth. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. So we see that the gospel was progressively being communicated from Jesus to Paul, to Silas, and to Timothy, from them to Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to Macedonia and Achaia that were regions which had lots of places in there, Macedonia in the north, Um, Achaia in the south, making up Greece at that time, and then everywhere. (laughs) It was just like the stone being thrown in to the pond (laughs) and the ripples going out, starting with Jesus, Paul, Silas and Timothy, Thessalonica, Macedonia, Achaia, everywhere. God's big picture of how his kingdom and his gospel grows. And at each stage, there were those who welcomed the message to become Christians. And in turn, they became communicators of the gospel. And then, wrapped up in the whole of that process, we see that the principle of example is very important and very significant. We, the word imitator is used. Paul, Silas, and Timothy followed Christ as their example. They then, with the Lord, became an example to the Thessalonians. Likewise, the Thessalonians, throughout 
Macedonia and Achaia became models and they were imitated and then everywhere. And so, as we saw last year when we had that series from Luke and from Acts, if you remember, about the kingdom of God and the nature of how Jesus went about his ministry, when we were doing the Inside Out um, home group uh, uh, CD and course, our ministry too needs to be about saying and doing and walking the talk. And so it is then that um, 1 Thessalonians, I think, 1 gives us an insight how we need to grow individually and how we need to grow as a church and how, through his church, God grows eventually his kingdom through us. And then if you were to read on from 1 Thessalonians 1 through the remainder of 1 Thessalonians, you just go into 2 Thessalonians, it doesn't take that long to do. I've done it a few times this week. You will find that Chapter 1, in what we've looked at this morning, is like a skeleton, it's like a framework. And then chapter 2 and chapter 3, then into 2 Thessalonians, starts to build on that framework and put some flesh on the bones that we've been thinking about this morning in more specific terms as far as growing in faith uh, is concerned. And and I would encourage you to to follow on this week uh, in doing that. But in that cascading of the gospel, that cascading of communicating of the gospel, with people coming to faith in growing, coming to faith in growing, there is that sense in which, you know, it comes down to us. The baton is now passed to us. The ripple passes through our generation from that initial stone in the lake. So what is it there for us this morning? We could say, (laughs) are we growing in faith? Individually, as a church, are we growing in the faith? (laughs) Being built up in our most holy faith. Are we growing in our love for God? That love that shows itself in the desire to serve him. Are we growing in hope? Is the coming of Christ a reality in our lives? Or do we live each day that never crosses our minds at all? It should be our inspiration for our hope. Are we making Jesus known? Are we doing it by both saying and doing? Are we walking the talk? What sort of example are we setting? Is that not challenging? What sort of example are you setting? What sort of example am I setting for others to follow? Remembering, of course, that Christ is the supreme example for us all, that we should follow in his steps. So may God help us as we come to the conclusion of this vision series, to be a church that is strong, that is secure, that is committed. And because it's my subject for this morning, one that is certainly going to be growing in every sense of the word.